Ramble. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. What's up, babies? Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. I'm Josh Peck. You're the listener. And that's that's wonderful. That's what has to happen. Otherwise, this is a real one-way street. Either you're listening to nothing or I'm talking to nobody. And either or, that's fucking weird. What's up? Happy weekend, right? I hope you had a great weekend. I did. It was my birthday. So it's really nice to hear from all of you selfish listeners who... I received no cards to my P.O. box that I don't have, and no correspondence, not even a check-in, not an email, not a fax, nothing. That's fine. I get it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, my birthday was wonderful. I did get a lot of lovely tributes and shout-outs and that whole thing, which is always uh, always quite kind, always appreciated. Um, and, uh, it was lovely and I'm getting old and I'm expiring. I'm 32. I never thought I'd make it to this age. Not like a cool fatalistic, oh, I thought I lived so hard and die young type thing. I just, I, I just couldn't imagine being like a grown up, like an adult, like fully adulting with a fucking kid on the way, which is wild and just mad crazy. Mad crazy, as the children say, as the kiddos say. Yeah, I'm going to be a father. It's starting, you know, we're not far. I'll just tell you that. I'm not going to tell you guys exactly when, because I feel like there might be a kook in there that'll show up at uh, at the hospital. But we're not far. Like, literally, like, less, like, well, a number of weeks away from that baby being a citizen of this earth. And, oh, my God, What? Things are going to change? Yeah, probably. That's what they say. <laughs> it's what every parent does when you tell them that you're pregnant. They're like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Sleep now. Fuck you, sleep now. Yes, I realize. Children, take your sleep. They do, they're do. they not sensitive to your sleep schedules, and they're, they're jerks about it. They are total insensitive jerks about my sleep schedule. So I realized that that's going to, I love sleep. I don't know what I'm going to do about that, but listen, it's not about me anymore, right? Maybe that's a good thing. It's been about me for so long and it's not left me the happiest. I'll be honest. You know, I've been my uh, primary objective for the last 32 years and, uh, you know, I could be happier. Probably. Definitely. Not complaining. Not a cry for help. I'm reasonably happy, as I imagine most are. But I don't hit those high heights. I don't really hit those low lows either. But fuck, I'll get a scoop of melancholy every now and then. Ooh, a nice dose of the sad. Just a, just a helping of the horrendous. You know what I mean? I know you do. Out there in your Toyota Prius, driving on your morning commute to listen to me. To try to, you know, just escape for a minute. Because you're on your way to your 9 to 5. And it's, well, you know, it's not completely fulfilling. As we were all promised as kids that we would find the perfect profession that would not only fill us creatively, but also financially and spiritually and emotionally. And then we would meet that partner who fulfilled us completely. And the truth is that even if you have those things, it still might not be enough. How about that? How about that mic drop of fucking stoicism philosophy right there? You know what I mean? Like, look at me. I'm overpaid. 
I have met the woman of my dreams. Yeah, I'm saying it. She doesn't even listen to the podcast. So I'm not trying to butter her up. And here's the even best part. She's perfect for me because she doesn't necessarily listen. Because she's more concerned about me, the human, and not so much about me, the performer. Right? Is that... I mean, that is so healthy. And I get to do this, which I love. Interesting conversations. I make a living being reasonably creative and artistic, not having a boss or a nine-to-five. And that, my friends, is a blessing. And yet... I still sometimes get the, um, I'm, I'm in the dumps. Not right now, but it happens. And I only share that with you in an effort in which to hope that you identify in some respect and don't feel so alone in your human condition and know that there are other people that feel that way and they're leaving, you know, they're leading quasi-successful lives or whatever my life looks like. And so that it's possible to get through the day. And sometimes you need that. Because we all feel so special. And we're all unique. Unique people. Humans. You don't know what it's like to be me in here. If you had my head on your shoulders, well, I'd like to see how you'd get by. You know what I mean? You, you don't want to see in here. Because it's crazy. It's a, it's a fun house of horrors. You know what I mean? Heavy on the horrors. I don't know. I made it sound darker than it is. It's actually all okay. Um, whoa, I don't know how I got on this weird tangent. Dude, um, California is fucking burning down. How about that? Um, it's no joke. And it's, uh, it's, it's wild to see it happening. And like, it's right outside your window and you look outside and the the sky is full of smoke and people are suffering. Like people, you know, like this touched people that we know. You know, it's not isolated because it's so massive. And uh, a lot of people are hitting the reset button on their lives, um, losing their material possessions. And I imagine as evolved as we all hope that we are and not about the material world, that's a fucking tough reset to let go of all those memories. And some people not and the people that have had that have had no choice and it's been foisted on them. And I imagine that is... um, incredibly hard man so um yeah it's it's no joke god bless them god bless the fire department and everyone who's fighting this thing and working hard and um and i hope it's over soon because it really really sucks uh and what else that's it i think that's it can that be it maybe Um, we have, I have some really good guests coming up on the pod. I hope you guys like this thing. I don't know. I think the verdict's still out on whether or not this podcast will work, but inevitably I'm having a good time. I hope you are too. And we'll see. More will be revealed. Um, what do we have? Damon John coming up. Shark Tank. Heard of it. Jude Angelini. Heard of it. Jeff Garland. Comedian. Heard of him. Rosie Perez. Legendary actress. Heard of her. Gary Vaynerchuk. Aubrey Marcus. Aquafina. Jeff Ross. We got, we got people coming. This is happening. So, um, I hope you guys keep listening and enjoy and, uh, tweet me at it's Josh Peck. Let me know. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't. Let me know how to make this thing better. I'll listen, maybe, unless it, uh, you know, uh, it challenges my ego, and then my ego will win every time. Today on the show, Phil Rosenthal. Heard of him? Um, he created a little show called Everybody Loves Raymond, one of the biggest shows to ever happen on this earth. He's also 
um, the host, creator, writer of Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix. One of my favorite indulgences because besides being just adorable as a human and as a host, um, he exposes me to all these incredible restaurants and places that I uh, otherwise might never get to see. So I felt so lucky to have a conversation with Phil and that he was down to be on the podcast. His lovely daughter, Lily Rosenthal, was uh, joined us as well, and she's, she's super dope. Between us girls, you know, me and my listeners, subsequently, from this podcast, Phil invited me over to his house for like a pizza night movie night. You know what I'm saying? And it was awesome. It's sort of a tradition for him. He has people over. He makes a wood fire pizza. And then we watch a movie. And, I, you know, I'm just going to say Phil's done well. And, uh, you know, we weren't watching a movie on uh, on a 32-inch screen. You know what I mean? We watched it. With, it was like a mini movie theater. But it was incredible. Um, he's such a lovely dude. Check out his show. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, bye. Here's Phil. of all people and so two days ago we recorded like this over lunch although these things get in the way of lunch a little bit so we need to lav up you you do have a great lunch rolodex i do can i get some of the heavy hitters you can even come to lunch get out of town why not i make no sense there no now that we're friends (laughs) and we're joined here by your lovely daughter yeah so it's lily lily feel free to jump in at any moment (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but do you want do you would you share a couple of your heavy hitter lunch friends like of course who what well, Norman Lear that, you here's, said here's, I'm very lucky because I'm now I'm doing this I've been in show business I realized 30 years wow. so if you don't make some friends something's wrong yeah you're the problem then. yes right <laughs> right my wife will probably say that I am the problem but you know like the first year of Raymond I got a phone call that Norman Lear was on the line wanted to talk to me so I and did your head explode? Yes, my head explodes. <laughs> I had talked about him to the press because when people asked me what I wanted my show to be like, even at CBS when we were first pitching it, I pointed to a picture of their most famous sitcom on the wall, All in the Family, and I said, I'd like it to be like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I just talked about how Norman Lear, in addition to being topical, relevant, political, life-changing, you know, I, I've, I've always said that television could be measured uh, B-N and A-N, before Norman and after Norman, because he was the most influential producer in history. On the Family changed everything. Before On the Family, you know, sitcoms were uh, silly, pretty and, much. And like Jesus, Norman is a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I get a call. Norman Lear's on line one. We're working in the writer's room. And, you know, I start sweating. And I pick up the phone. And he says, Phil, I hear we're fans of each other. I'm like, uh, Sir? I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of yours. And he goes, well, we should eat. And, and a friend of mine wants to come along if it's okay. Okay. And I show up at a restaurant called Pino on Ventura Boulevard. 
And there's Norman sitting with Carl Reiner. Come on. Yeah, and I dropped dead. Yes, and they are my friends to this day. And they're both 96. And what is yes. meeting your heroes like? Because we've all been in that that place, or some of us have been lucky enough to where they completely exceed your expectations, and sometimes they break your heart. I'm going to say 99% of the time it's been fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Have One, you found that? I met Steven like today, Seagal. for example. <laughs> Like today, How's it going? this is, please, beyond. <laughs> are, are you kidding me? I didn't even know this street existed in LA. <laughs> it's so fancy. Um, no, absolutely. Well, and as not as a rule, but I find the more successful people are, mm-hmm. the more secure um, in who they are and what they've done. Yeah. And they tend to be the most gracious and generous, whereas the people that are sort of teetering in the middle seem a little more... Right. Unsure of themselves. Right. But we don't, I mean, who defines what the middle is? You know, the top, there is no there there. Even, even someone like Tom Hanks must feel like, what, this, they treat me like this? You know what I mean? I wonder. It's always, it's always, show business will do this to you. Build you up and knock you down. You'll, oh, oh yeah. There's always going to be, I've talked, I've spoken to some of the greatest writers in history. Like, I'll bet you, do, do you know who Larry Gelbart was I know the name? Larry Gelbart wrote Tootsie. He wrote Mash yeah. on TV. Doesn't get right? better. He's the, one of the greatest writers of all time, and he would always get the. He would tell me, he would get these meetings where he said, "I felt like a monument that they wanted to walk around and look at," but when it came time for me to pitch something, they weren't really that interested, and that makes you feel bad. No matter who you are, if well, they don't want what you're selling, right? There's always going to be somebody who, either doesn't value what you do or just doesn't want like it doesn't want it well i was fascinated by a uh, a instagram story questionnaire you did yesterday i did for the first time i'm very proud <laughs> it was well done i almost had to take a class yeah <laughs> well, to do it yeah did you help lily i did not help but i saw it from i was uh i was away i was with friends and uh, I saw, I'm going to do a live Q&A tomorrow. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. What is he doing? And, uh, and I then saw it the next day. And he just, it's just him going around rooms of the house. Sorry if that blows your cover. But you just you were like in various rooms of the house, like squinting at the phone. Well, like, I did it, it at so- different times. Oh, you did. I couldn't do it all just, at once. But oh, I tried right. to answer as many questions as I could. I got thousands of questions. Right, you're very so popular. I answered about 25, 30 questions, which is a lot, I realize. Yes. To answer. Yes. You've done it. I'm very it. proud of you. You've done it. I've done it. And it, it does remind me a little bit of when my mom, uh, when I talk to her, and she says, I'm working on your website, as in my oh, website. Your mom helped you. And I say, What do you mean? She goes, yeah. My Facebook page. Oh, God. So my, her Facebook her f- page is, your website. is my website. Nice, good. And That's how it should be. <laughs> your mom should run your social life. Yes, and it, it breaks my heart slightly. But I was, I was fascinated to what you were saying before by a question that was posed yeah. about the next season of Somebody Feed Phil. Yeah. And you answered, when we get the green light from Netflix, if they yes. want to do another season, we'll do it. Of and course. I, and someone like you, who I look at is like this you know, mecca of, of <laughs> accomplishment. And I go, God, he's waiting for the call too? Like he has to wait for that I'm next you, season pickup? Tom Cruise has to wait for that call. Right. Everybody. You don't, I mean, he probably waits less time than me. <laughs> yes. 
But everybody has that thing that they really want to do that somebody doesn't want them to do or doesn't care about. So to that end, when you finish something like Raymond, which was just a clear win, right? I mean, <laughs> institution of television. How long before the day you finish yeah. and that moment where you go, I got to do something else? Like, how long can you enjoy the honest. afterglow of it? I, I wanted, obviously you want a break, but I found that just the hiatus between seasons of Raymond was enough for me. Right. You know, a couple of months of nothing is, is more than enough. And even then, I, I enjoy this. I'll, g- I'll give you an example. I had a meeting, a pitch meeting with a guy over lunch, an executive. I was going to pitch a show. This was a couple of years after Raymond. And I'm pitching this show to him, and he stops me. He goes, can I ask you something? I said, yeah. He says, why are you still doing this? And I said, doing what? He's like pitching shows. You don't have to do this. I'm like, what do you mean? That's what I do. This, I like doing this. What do you think? Because I had a little success over here, I should lay in bed the rest of my life? No. I, I got in the business because I love doing this. Right? Now, this guy, he, he said, quite honestly, if I was you, I'd sit on a mountaintop and forget about this business. Okay, that's him. I feel like I need a reason to get up in the morning. And I love making shows. I don't like show business. The business part of show business is the part that stops you from doing the show part of show business. And does the business feel better, worse, or the same today than it did when you were really in the midst of doing Raymond every day? When I was doing Raymond every day, the business was fantastic. Well, it's behind Because you. I had... You had a winner. I, I also had a steady job, which is very unusual in show business. Sure. So if you get, if you're lucky enough to get on a show that works, and it's up to you, basically, to say when it's over, that's a very good position to be in. I realized how lucky I was every single second of that experience. And did you have... I'm obsessed with people... Creative people, and and I'll even venture to say people like us, Mm -hmm. who I always know that there's this fictitious idea of a finish line in my head. That if only I win this award or have this much acclaim. And what do you do on the other side of it? Finally, I'll be all better. But does it, do you even get a, it's like the universe. Do you get a month? Do you get six weeks of like, I'm I'm the shit. I'm the bomb. No. No? No. A couple days? No. The moment (laughs) after you win that award... You go, oh, look, it's a... Now what? Oh, no. There's no there there. Right. So you... It's what I try to tell the kids. The world is full of variables. There's always going to be that rotten kind of person who ruins the picnic, you know? No matter where you are, there's always going to be that guy. There's always going to be something that annoys you wherever you go. And if you fixate on that, your life isn't very good because you're only fixated on that. But if you are confident and steady, if you are the rock, if you know who you are and you find your own happiness, then that stuff can roll off your back easier. It doesn't mean you're always happy all the time and silly and stupid. It just means that life is good and you're grateful for what you have. Yes. Did you, now you're a self-proclaimed, you're a self-proclaimed atheist, because I heard you on <laughs> Koppelman's podcast, and I totally get that. 
And yet what you're saying seems very spiritual to a certain extent, or maybe just pragmatic or so how did you develop your, your tools in which to get through life? It's a great question. Uh, do you have a few hours? Because this is <laughs> not, up. it's not, I'm a, in. I can't help but be shaped by my background. And I did grow up Jewish in a Jewish family. I still consider myself Jewish because ethnically, uh, traditionally, historically, I am Jewish. Now, we can talk about whether I believe in uh, uh, higher power. a higher power, a spiritual being. That's not really important. What is important is I believe in people, and I believe in the goodness, the inherent goodness of people. And this thing I just told you about, you have to be the rock, you have to be solid. That, that means learning to be content with yourself. Let's assume that when we die, there is nothing else. I'm going to assume that. And don't the Jews kind of assume that? I don't know I think that's sure. an Old Testament thing of kind of like, it's here now, eye yes. for an eye. And when it's over, good luck. <laughs> but for, I think that was a creation more of the New Testament. But what I do mean, I know? It's a, I, I'm, I'd I'm like to meet too. the guy who knows for sure what's on the other side. Then sure. maybe I would live differently. But until I'm, it's proven to me, scientifically, yes, I believe in science. Uh, I'm going to live as if this is it. And what I tell people about, you know, if I do the travel show, you're never going to be as young as you are right now. And for all we know, this is a one-way street. And every day that you're older is a chance that maybe something on you doesn't work very well anymore. Could be a bum leg. Your brain could go. Anything could happen. Could be hit by a car tomorrow. So go now. Meaning live your life now. Don't put off your plans. Do them now. Don't assume that life is forever. And do you feel, I mean, that seems to me like live in the present. Yes. Do for others, get yes. out of self. Yes. Right? Yes. And that's, You'll be happier. That's a spiritual truth, right? Like I find I anyone that I find that I look up to who seems centered in any way yeah. or has a life that I find attractive, for some, in some way, whether it came from organized religion right. or 12-step uh, or just living without yes. a higher power, they've... They've uh, sort of accrued that mentality. Whatever works. If you want to believe in God, believe in God. If it works for you, if it makes you a better human being, I'm all for it. Go ahead. I don't care. Just don't kill me because I don't believe the same thing. I like that. Yes? I've, I'm behind it. Believe whatever you want. Just be nice. How about that? <laughs> you know yes. what religion I believe in? The golden rule, which is at the center of every single religion and atheist belief and everything. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If we all just followed that rule alone, we'd all be one happy family. And what do you, so who do you talk to on a Wednesday night when you're in the rewrite and the run-through didn't go well? <laughs> <laughs> I talk to the other writers who are in the same shit that I am. Right. Yes. You band together. Because God isn't really helping me then. Yeah, right? Where's he in those moments? Yes. Yeah. Come up with a punchline, God. Yeah, give me then, a button, God, really. Maybe. Show yourself. That's right. <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you, get, you get something good to eat in the writer's room, Ugh. and sometimes that's God. You know, sometimes that's the inspiration. It's, yeah. I mean, as I can tell, and, and, you know, you watch that episode with you and the gelato where you <laughs> felt compelled to kiss the, the gelato. Anybody would have. Chef. I mean, that's, that was a, god, a godly moment. Yes, there's God in that moment. Yeah. Right? When you have the world's best 
gelato, the, one of the best things you've ever tasted in your life. And here's this lady who made it just for you. And she put all her love into it, right? And she so th that I just wanted to kiss her on the cheek, you know? And then she kissed me on the other cheek. And I kind of got emotional. Yeah. I'm, I'm not proud of it, but I'm not ashamed of it. It's, <laughs> it was real. People talk about that moment. Uh, oh, you cried over ice cream. It was more than the ice cream. Mm. Right? Now, that brings me to this point, and, and Lily, feel free to weigh in on this, because I'm fascinated by people like you that I look at you as, as someone, and listen, I was 300 pounds at one point, right? And yet I... It's amazing. I saw pictures. I can't believe your transformation. When you have a lot to teach people, you really do. Thanks. About <laughs> willpower, about discipline, about how to do it, about how to make your life better. I'm sure you've talked about this. I, sort of. I, I, you know, in a weird way, because I... I did it, I had my awkward teenage years on television. So right. some people can set the yearbooks on fire and say, I'm never going to talk about it again. Yeah. My awkward teenage years are in reruns. So lucky yes. me. <laughs> so do you, did you find it uh, being awkward? Mm. Did you find being on TV made that harder or easier to deal with? Harder. A hundred percent. You're literally under a microscope. Well, I just knew, I don't know where it was born out of. I mean, for me, like I love, you know, Howard Stern always talks about, of course I went into radio because his father was a radio engineer. Yeah. He's like, so to me, that was currency in my household. To be relevant on the radio was to be heard. Because your parents were in the business? My mom should have been, wow. but she had a beautiful singing voice. Yeah. She has. Yeah. and. She's a total character, loves a great joke. She's the, I mean, she gave a toast at my wedding that brought the house down. Wow. I'm talking 10 minutes of like gr great stand. Can I give you her yeah, opening please, line? Please. She's a little, you know, we're bigger people in my family. Mm -hmm. She's a single mom. I'm an only child. Yes. She opens with, I want to welcome you all. I'm Josh's mother and father, which explains why I've been eating for two my whole life. Oh, good line. It's a nice opening. Yeah, very good. So everybody laughs and claps and people loved she's it. She's off to the race. <laughs> and and so she loved the honeymooners, as I know you loved. My and, favorite. I mean musicals and yes. so I knew that that was worthwhile. Yes. So I think for me to do that was it was my first love. It I knew that that this was valuable more so than let's say football or yeah. you know the sciences for me as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But did your, but what I wanted to ask before was, I think you're more into food than I am, and yet you are so friggin' trim, and lean, lean I'll say. Well, do you feel like that, you have to, you have to really watch yourself, or it could happen at any moment? Not anymore. I. Because you you got you got into a rhythm, you got into a way of life, you work out. It's over ten years. I feel like uh, you know, I try to work out and it's, every day, every day, six times a week. Me too. So that's what keeps either, you. Either, either weights or cardio. And that's how you don't put on. No, because here's the sad news for you, young man. As you get older, the, the only thing that really makes a difference in your weight. It's what you Not eat. your health, but your weight is your diet. Ugh. That's sad, right? So I have to pick my spots. When people say, I see you eating all that stuff. Yeah, you see me eating all that stuff. We film for 10 days in each location, and it's condensed into an hour. Right. So you see probably the meal, the big meal that I had that day. Not only that, I'm not finishing everything. First right. of all, I can't. 
Second of all, I have a crew of 16 guys looking at me with their tongues hanging out. So I, <laughs> if I don't give it to them, they'll eat me. Yeah, you have to be magnanimous yes, about I have it. To. Well, it's only fun if you can share. So, so I like to share. So what does the meal before and after the shoot look like? Light. Small. Light. Sometimes we film two meals a day, but there's enough time in between for me to get hungry. Listen, I want to be enthusiastic when I eat. Because that's the show. That's half the show is me being happy to eat. And I, I understand that's a way in for a lot of people. Well, you know, yeah. I have a secret agenda, which isn't so secret. I want you to travel. I'm trying to get you to travel. I know for me, food is the way in. And for you, food is the way in. Food's very popular. <laughs> yeah, <me laughs> Everybody eats. Everybody likes and food programming. I understand it. So I thought what I had to offer the genre was my own stupid sense of humor and this agenda of using the food and hopefully the humor to get you to travel. It can't just be me eating. That would be boring. As sure. excited as I am. I mean, we could just live stream that. Yes, I could. Yes. Set up a webcam. Yes. We could talk after. Yes. Um, a trough cam. <laughs> I, I, I have a buddy, Jeremy Bronson, who's a oh, I know him. great TV writer, yes. incredibly funny. And he says, you know, it's, it's so funny in in the writer's room yeah. that you can pay us less. You can give us a pay cut. You can make our hours longer. But if you fuck with our lunch order, there's an uprising. You know what the name of my production company was at Raymond? What? Where's lunch? I love it. Because that's the writer's main preoccupation. If you're locked in that room and it's going to be hours, like 12 hours sometimes, 16 hours sometimes in the writer's room, the only sunshine coming in the room is the menu. And where, where were the places? Give me like the top three places that you'd order out for when you were wow. in, in the well, middle this is going to be, I mean, we're talking about now Raymond hasn't been on since 2005. So, so I, I feel like be, we're not talking different. We're not talking a cheesecake factory here. No, it would be, you know, once a week we'd go to Nazawa, which was the premier sushi bar maybe in Los Angeles. That's nice. Now it's Sugarfish. That's right. Oh. It's by the same. It's the same guy. He did it for his sons now. This kind of Yeah, and uh, he was the sushi, sushi Nazi, right? He was, but if you got to know him as I did, and I'm talking about I went, even before Raymond, I was going to this sushi bar once a week minimum for 20 years, and we became friends. And he was not a Nazi to me because I was genuinely interested in what sushi was all about, and he taught me everything that you'd want to know about sushi. It was like having your own Jiro Dreams of Sushi right in front of you every day. The dream. The dream. And, and I got to know him and his family, and they, they've been here, and we've been out to dinner, and he's a lovely, lovely guy. However, if you screwed with his place, which was tiny, it's about the size of this room, right? Very few seats. And if you asked somebody to move seats so you could sit with someone else, he would say, get up. If you asked for spicy tuna roll, or California roll, when it says no spicy tuna roll, no California roll on the wall, and he said to you, I'm sorry, we don't have that, and he point to the sign, and if you said, yeah, but can you make it for me anyway, he would say, get up. <laughs> I can respect that. Yeah. That I can respect. Because those are American inventions. And he was a traditionalist, and he cared very, very much about the art form. Right. And... That I can respect. I'll tell you what I can't respect. Yeah. You ready? I am. I was at Jelena the other day. Okay. Excellent. Love the food. food. 
Yeah. Very, how would, Lily, you, I feel like you could describe Jelena to the... I've actually never been. I've only been to Justa, the other one. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they're sister myself. restaurants. I've never yeah. been. It's really good, though? It's, it's really good. It's on Abbot Kinney, which is an incredibly trendy street in the trendiest of neighborhoods, Venice. And Do you live over there? Close, not yeah. far. So I'm there. I'm going to a party. So they've rented out a room. So I know that they're putting down some scratch for this event. Okay. Yep. And I walk upstairs and, and there are two waiters who are like standing next to a wall that I greet warmly because mm-hmm. I, be t- nice. I take it upon myself yeah. to like, because it could be me. Yes. Like it could be me there. So I give them a nice, how are you? Nice yes. to see you. Right. They gave me I, not even like not even a hi, just a huh. Yes. Like, uh. Yes. And my, my wife who I'm with says to me, oh, that's, that's their thing. Like the, the waiters are jerks. And I, I was like, fuck that. It's kind of like that at Justa too. It's very high pace. If you don't know what you want, get out of the way. It's a little, that's how it is. I, I mean, are you saying that this is a, this is a, I do uh, see what he's saying. A plan? Yes. They plan that like, that's our shtick. I mean, I've now had it with with these two guys. My wife has had it go, going there with two different waiters and waitresses, and it's not somewhere where you go. Can I see the manager? Really, it, it's a little bit of a. All right, look. You know, I'm not throwing shade over here. No, no, I don't no. want to start I, a. I, yeah, go ahead. Talking about like Malibu Kitchen, like Bill. Everyone has a problem with Bill, but if you know, go maybe ahead. So everyone, have you been to Malibu Kitchen? Okay, so Malibu Kitchen, it's kind of like this New York-style deli in the center of Malibu. So you walk in, and how do you describe it? It's like like a Vermont country store with New York-style deli, and then you get your sandwich, you go outside, you're in Malibu. It's a fantastic. Exactly. It's exactly, fantastic. That's exactly what it is. So um, there's a guy who runs it. It's his place. His name is Bill. He is known throughout Malibu as this grouchy, rude horrible man um but we know him i used to work at malibu kitchen he's the nicest like just sweetest most adorable man um and yet people just don't like him because he's he could be uh i guess short i don't know but my dad says uh you need shirts that say malibu kitchen and then on the back maybe it's you (laughs) because you know it it Oftentimes you're like, you expect him to be rude because you've heard that he's rude. And then he's just really the nicest guy, but you don't give him a chance. So you take everything as, no, he's just terrible and rude. And I don't know. We don't, we don't know other people's lives, right? So, so, you know, if he's very, very busy and stressed out and there's a long line at the counter for sandwiches to order and the lady up front is on her phone. Sure. And he's trying to get her attention. And then she finally puts her phone down and then starts asking a bunch of questions about the sandwiches. She, you know, you have a certain responsibility when you go into a place to at least play by the rules. If you're online, how about taking the menu and giving a look before you get up front, especially if there's a long line behind you. It's just common courtesy. Imagine what he puts up with in Malibu. Oh, right. Yes, soccer so, moms. I'm saying give. <laughs> I'm saying give Bill a break. All right, I get that. Good, good right? name for a show. To yeah, give Bill a break. Yeah, but um, he he's you know he's become a great family friend. I love him. We put him in the L.A. episode just because I, I saw love it. the sandwiches so much. Oh, right? I love it. Yeah, 
Uh, I recommend it to everybody. And, you know, I think if you're nice to him, he's going to be nice to you. That's how it is. The situation you're talking about, this other restaurant, I can't, I can't explain. I, I can't understand. Like in New York, uh, at Peter Luger's, let's say, they have a shtick. They're going to be gruff. They're going to be New York-ish, you know, whatever that means sure. to you. They're going to be not rude, but they're gonna, not going to be, hi, sweetie, how's your day? Right? But they, they, serve, what do you want? they serve something called schlag there. I mean, I yes. can imagine that, like, you go in there and there's sawdust on the floor yes. and they're like, you know, it's all, it's German, right? But the Lukers? gruffness is the shtick. I get that. And then and when it's you joke with there. them, they expect you to have a sense of humor. Right. Am I missing that at Chilina? I don't know. I don't think so. There has to be a sense of humor behind it. You can't just be mean to people. <laughs> yes. That's not a good, you know, service. Business uh, practice. No. <laughs> sure. Mean. Oh, let's go there. I hear they're mean. <laughs> yeah. There's a place in uh, Chicago called the Wiener Circle. Tell me more. A great hot dog place run by uh, an African-American staff, some big ladies behind the thing. You go there, they will cuss you out. It is hilarious. Who is on the, who's on the office? Uh the the sweet kid the Krasinski no the Rain the Wilson office. sorry no not the office no old man Rosenthal Park, just forgot Parks and Rec no it's Thirty Rock the sweet the 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 page the NBC page oh yeah uh you know the guy from uh, Saving Sarah Marshall or forgetting oh, Sarah Marshall oh, oh I know I'll look it up hold on <laughs> go ahead anyway he's he's adorable he he there's a, a great YouTube video of him going to the Wiener Circle and getting cussed out. And then he brings Triumph, the insult comic dog, back with him to straighten them out. Great. Jack McBriar? Yes, Jack McBriar, who's fantastic and hilarious and the sweetest guy in the world. So these ladies just cuss him out. Yeah. It's hysterical. You have to know what you're in for. You're going to go there and you're going to get cussed at and that's the entertainment. All right, you're and, making it. You know, when you bring your point. friends there, it, you're going to laugh. <laughs> right. It's going to be fun, <laughs> right? And you can give it back to them, and they're going to hit you twice as hard. It's like a battle of, uh, it's like a rap battle. Right. So much fun. It's like a roast. Have you been in some rap battles, Phil? You can tell I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm Piro. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Down at Hebrew school, getting, yeah. getting in uh, some eight mile action. Yeah. Uh, you ever imagined op- if you ever opened up your own restaurant, what it would be like? I did. You did? Well, I, you know, I invest in restaurants. Did you okay. know that? No, I didn't. There's a, the main reason I invest in restaurants is that I'm not very bright. Tell this me This is why. a money-losing venture for, for, mo- for the most part. But I do it because I love them so much. And to me, it, it is an art form. And I support the arts. Both Monica and I have a foundation even that supports the arts. The arts in education, the arts in school. And to me, the... The culinary arts are as valid as any other. Why should our sense of taste be rated any less than our sense of sight or sound, right? We support the, the Philharmonic and the Art Museum and arts in schools, visual arts, creative arts, support the chefs. So this, to me, makes our town better when we have a great restaurant to, to go meet and eat in. It's our social life. It's what I'd, more than anything else, what I'd like to do tonight is go to a restaurant with my friends and family and eat and drink and have a great time. That, to me, is an evening. 
I don't need, you know, uh, yes, I want to see theater. Yes, I want to see a movie. Yes, I want to go to a museum. But it all culminates for me when you're sitting in a place that's convivial, not too loud, so we can talk, and have art presented to you. That's what it's like for me. Art that you can literally take in. What, you don't think we have ads over here? What do you think? This? What do you think? We're floundering that this podcast is in the red? It's not. We're doing well, quite well. We're doing okay. It's not... It's not the best, but we, we have one ad, and that's from Quip. Uh, guys, what's Quip? It's the most important thing you're going to do for your health every day. Brush your teeth. It's one of the most important things, but not everyone is doing it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. It's got a built-in two-minute timer, pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, sensitive sonic vibrations. It's got a multi-use cover, and the brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for only $5. Yes. I just got my new pack. What did I get? A little toothbrush, a little brush head. It even came with a battery that goes in. So, you know, those sonic vibrations, those don't, you know, those don't come out of nowhere. They're powered by a battery, which I didn't have to go out and buy because it was delivered by Quip because they friggin' think of everything. Anyway, that's why I love Quip. That's why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash curious right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash curious. Add over. Who are you? We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The people who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make the show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to listenerq, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q dot com slash curious and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Yeah. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash curious. That's ListenerQ.com slash curious. <laughs> and you you have talked about the whole uh, volume of music at restaurants. Yes, it's my pet peeve. But you said that it's uh, it's purposeful and not yes. just for ambiance. No, they want to get you out. God, I think we should all rebel against this. Just I really sit. do. I think if everyone if everyone who really thought a place was too loud asked the servers, could you please turn it down? I think they would. I say it. You know what I say, and I mean it. I have trouble hearing. Can you turn it down a little? And what? And do you get and a good response? And here's the other thing. Now I'm perfectly willing, being being as old as I am, to go early. I know you kids, you wanted a little action-packed, you want a little uh, excitement when, when you're going out, and you're going out after 8, 9 o'clock. Not me. I'm going 6.30. Right. That's when I like to eat dinner. I want to have dinner while digest. the sun's out. Yeah. <laughs> right? I want to digest. I don't want to go to bed on a full stomach, right? So I eat early, and there's less people there. And so the music doesn't have to be cranked. So if I'm one of the few people in the restaurant, turn it down for Old Man Rosenthal. Yeah. Please. Just to... I'm here to talk to 
my family and my friends. That's why I came here, not just to eat, but to have an evening. Are you happy with a turkey sandwich? Yes. Like that you just make from as a matter of fact, in the kitchen? As a matter of fact, it's funny that you said turkey sandwich. First of all, it's the sandwich that's named after me at, at the uh, at, uh, Malibu? Malibu Kitchen. Wow. Yeah, it's the one we featured in the show. You've made it. I've made it. Then I've actually said this. When people complain about airline food, which they have valid reason to complain, people, what if they just made, what if the airlines concentrated on a good turkey sandwich and that's it? And you knew when you were going on the plane, oh, they have the good turkey sandwich. I'm going, you know, I'm excited. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have a turkey sandwich this week because I'm going on American Airlines. They make a good one, right? Good and point. that was it. And they had a vegetarian option. That's it. Turkey sandwich. You know if you're going on that airline and you're going from L.A. to New York, you're getting the turkey sandwich. Yeah, why does why it have not? to be so bad? Why? why does it? The more they try to make it fancy-ish, the worse it is. Yes. Right? I even like JetBlue now, and I don't know if you fly JetBlue. I have, and they, they keep it simple. They, they have a snack closet. Go as you'd like. In the middle of the plane, yeah. you f- feel free to help yourself. Yeah. You want a Schweppes and a <laughs> Sun Chips? Yes. Enjoy yourself. Yes. And bring it back to your seat. And that's in every class. That's, in, that's for a coach. That, yeah, yeah. But that's, and then, you know, the mint, the first class has a yeah. whole meal. But this is just like, but grab some I've chips. been in mint, and they keep it simple there as well. Yes. Sandwiches, I think. And, and stuff. Keep it simple. Yeah, they know. I wanted to ask unless you. You're, un, unless you're subsidized by government, like a foreign airline, like I've been lucky enough to fly Emirates or Singapore Airlines. Ooh, yeah. Some of the meals are spectacular. Like, holy cow, I don't want to get off the plane. I was on an Emirates airline. I took a shower. What was that like? Unbelievable. How was the, the water pressure? That's the all. water pressure was better than my damn house upstairs. Yes. And this is a nice house. Here's the coolest thing. You take the shower. Everybody gets five minutes. Okay. This is the, the, yes, I am lucky enough. I get to fly first class once in a while. This is for the first class pageant. I think there's 20 people. They go around when you, when you, when you uh, sit down, the stewardess comes over and says, would you like a shower? I said, now? They said, later, like you make a time. So I give a time. They pencil me in. So from 9 a.m. to 9.15 a.m., including five minutes of shower time, that's my time in that bathroom. The bathroom is bigger than this room that we're sitting in right now. I'm not kidding. It was, it's giant. And there's two of them at the front. And there's a person, an attendant, whose only job it is on each side. There's two of these people. When somebody uses the bathroom for any reason they have the next person wait a minute they go in and make it as if no one was ever in this room okay after a shower after whatever use it is spotless now you go in, you take a shower yes amazing water pressure you feel like you can't you can't even imagine you i can't believe i'm flying in an airplane taking a shower here's the coolest part you step out of the shower the floor is heated the Come floor on. is heated. They thought of that. Yes, that's the part where I went, oh. Have you ever <laughs> sat in the back of a Southwest Airlines? Yes, I have. <laughs> yes, that's why this is, this is why I'm excited. <laughs> because this had never happened to me before. That's this unreal. Is, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, this is how I go all the time. I'm saying this is amazing. 
But to that point, and you make the, you qualify with the first class thing, which I do at times. And for the most part, I fly first class now when I have to fly a long period. I tell people, you know, most, most people who get, who are lucky enough to fly, right? They save up for that, for that ticket. Use your miles because the ticket, the basic ticket is, is okay. That's manageable for most, for most people. Uh, use your miles to upgrade. Definitely. Don't use your miles for the thing that you can afford. Use your miles to upgrade to the thing that maybe you can't afford. Right. Because I'm telling you, it's, it makes life better. How Was it hard for you to become comfortable in your success? Because I see you now even like making the joke about first class or what have you. But mm-hmm. I would imagine like, and not to project, but... You know, you came from a humble background, yeah. and as did I. And, and I find, and I've had small success, in, and it can feel sort of like this weird new jacket to wear. Was mm-hmm. it was it similar for you? I, I, I have this weird thing about, and there's something that's never going to leave me, this, this thing about uh, paying too much or getting ripped off, that feeling. Judaism. That, because of a, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that feeling when I didn't have anything, that every nickel mattered, that doesn't really go away. Like if something, if I see something's on sale in the supermarket and it's the same, basically the same item, I am going for the cheaper thing. Yeah. It's just a thing. And if I have a coupon for something that falls into my lap, it's not like I'm going clipping coupons, which I used to have to do. But if it's, if it's there, like at, at the Ralph's, if they say, do you have a card or do your phone number? I give my phone number, and I saved $5 on the, on the checkout. I feel good. Of course. I'm still a person. I feel like that's a scam, by the way, that whole value member put your phone. I'm like, just give me the discount anyway. But Well, the discount is what it should really cost. Yes. Uh, by the way, they're still making money, I promise you. I, I could don't work. That. Don't feel bad for them. <laughs> sure. And the rest is, if you're stupid enough not to give your phone number or get the little card, you're paying too much. Do you ever lose that, or when did you lose that, and there's that great Yiddish word, kenahara. Yes. Which is like the other, waiting, perpetually waiting for the other shoe to drop, which I think we all fall victim to. Have you lost that? Do you know that you're probably, if you don't work anymore, it's probably going to be all right? It's not going to be all right, because I want to work. Right. I don't want you, it's not that you need the money it's not it's it's what you were born you feel like you were born to do this that this is your purpose in life you I now have tasted the feeling that oh I can do this maybe I was meant to do this so if I'm prevented from doing this something's wrong right right that so so, so that's the feeling and I want to keep going and you want to stay relevant that's a human thing you want to feel like you still have something to say. Is it, is it a human thing or yeah. is it a us thing? Is it a holiday? Because I know a lot of people that are happy working and yeah. doing something that fulfills them in whatever regard. Yeah. But this idea of relevancy, yeah. I don't think crosses their mind. I'm not sure about that. Uh, especially in show business. Right. Right? When you say us, you're not talking about Jewish. You're talking about... Show business? What are you People talking about? People in show business, yes. Oh. I think in every business. I really do. Uh, look at the old people who, who don't want to give up the car keys. They want to stay vital. That, that the true. fact that they can't drive anymore means something's been taken away from them, and they're not a human. My dad fought it. 
Who am I if I'm not driving? Yeah. You know what I mean? So the way I got him to relinquish his keys at 80-whatever was saying, Dad, I know you love comedians, right? So, you know, the great comedians, they get off the stage before they have a bad joke. They leave on a good joke. So let's leave before any accidents. You have a perfect, you have a good set going. Let's leave now. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was what got him. That's what got him to give the keys. And does he Uber now? He bu- takes the bus. Uber, Uber, it's so expensive. <laughs> the taxi is so expensive. He'll take the bus. I mean, once in God a while, he'll take him. a taxi. But he wants us with him so that we can amortize the cost of the taxi. Beautiful. Uh, I wanted to ask, to watching, you know, first I'll have what Phil's having, and now somebody feed Phil. I look at you and I think of Larry David in the sense of having had this great success as being the person behind the mm-hmm. scenes. Yeah. And then having this now second round. Right. Being the face. Right. It's if, a good comparison. Would you, I, and just to follow that up, would you, do you think you would have been a little bummed or felt a little incomplete if you hadn't had this time to be the face? No. No? I was super happy being the writer and creator and showrunner of Raymond. It was everything I ever wanted. Could I put myself in the show if I wanted to? Yeah, I think so. Uh, my joke is that I didn't appear in that show because I cared about it. <laughs> so I did other people's shows. I didn't care as much about them. Uh, and it was fun. I started as a kid. I didn't know there was writing, directing, producing. I saw the honeymooners. I just wanted to be them. I just wanted to be funny. Uh, and so in high school, I was in the high school plays and, and you know, in college, that's what I studied. And I had to learn about writing and directing and producing in college. You got a well-rounded education at Hofstra University. And, you know, I always say they made me take courses I knew I'd never use, like English. Sure. And so I loved actually learning about all these other things. I had no idea that they would all come in handy when I was uh, creating a show for someone else, right? All these things that I learned in college. Uh, The theater background helped me immeasurably. So I was never, ever, it was only after when stuff wasn't working out after Raymond. You asked, getting back to your original question, how soon after Raymond did you feel like you had to do it in? We had a a spinoff of Raymond ready. I thought we would go from Raymond into the spinoff of Robert, Robert's family with Monica, with Amy, and her family, which was Chris Elliott, Fred Willard, and Georgia Engel. Come on. They had done like 30 episodes of Raymond anyway, and we had a built-in audience. But they didn't want the show because everyone in that cast was over 40. God. And so they said, we'll do a pilot. Uh, and I said, well, the whole reason to do this is to keep the gang together, the writers. These were some of the best writers in TV that we had assembled and had a lot of experience, nine years on Raymond. They were now getting offers like multi-million dollar deals at other shows, and they have families to support, and they're not going to chance this by doing a pilot. You have to commit to 12 episodes. That's not not a lot, 12, 13 episodes for proven talent all around. Nope. And I think it was because the cast was over 40. 
That's my real, that's what I really think happened. And I saw that they gave a commitment to a show where the cast was under 30. And they gave 13 episodes to that. And is that show on the that air? That show died after six episodes. I have no doubt. Well, things, most things don't work. Our show may not have worked. But I thought we deserved at least a half-season commitment, and it, having done Raymond and having had the actors from Raymond. It makes beyond perfect sense. And yes. at this moment, is this the time where you take your juice from nine successful seasons to call the president of whatever and be uh-huh. like, really? Like, you can't give me 13? Why do I have to be making this call? The truth is you don't do that. You just say, because it doesn't need to be said. You're not going to change their mind. By the way, you don't want to go where you're not wanted. Right. If they don't want the show, nothing you say is going to make them suddenly want it. They might do it for the wrong reason, and then you're dead anyway. I've been there. Really? Of course. I've done, I've done the thing where I've, I've, I've written a pilot, and they want to give me a lot of notes, and I say, you know what? I, I, here, you take my script. Do what you want. Just take my name off it. You want a different show than what I've pitched to you. You want a different show than what I thought I was doing. If you want it so different, take what I've done. Use what you want. Don't use what... Just take my name off it. And then I learned that what they really wanted was my name. Hmm. They just didn't want what I do. So then they say, no, 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 come back. We'll do it your way. Oh, okay. Well, now you're dead. Because, yes, they're going to do it your way. The show's not going to get on because they don't really want it. They want your name on their thing. That's what they want. At least that's, I've had that experience. I can't say it's always like that. And it might be me. I realized like after Raymond that the business had changed. That what Raymond was is kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, clean show that you could watch with your kid or your grandma that everything was now had to be edgy and it had to compete with cable and it had to, you know, I'm not saying be vulgar, but it had to be, it had to have an edge, a lot of kind of sexual jokes. And we had sex jokes on our show, but they went over the heads of the children and they weren't overt. And it wasn't about that. Which you could say is the higher order, the higher concept, the, the more challenging execution is to Say it without saying it. This to me is good writing. That's when you everything. say it without saying it. Yeah. Uh, it's what we value. Listen, we could, have, we could have easily gone there. It's not like in the writer's room we didn't use this language. We just got it out of our system before it went on television. Because writer's rooms are notoriously blue, right? I mean, completely. We, we make South Park look like Mary Poppins. We make, <laughs> we make you know, I mean, we, we get out. Every single horrible, disgusting, shocking thing. We say everything. It. I mean, if if we weren't comedians, we would probably be in jail. <laughs> sure. <laughs> if we weren't trying to be funny. The thing is, we say the most shocking thing because the joke is, look how wrong this is to say. Right. That's the joke in our private world, in our private room where none of us really believe any of it, we say the most shocking stuff, right? That's what, that's what makes comedy writers and comedians laugh because they've heard it all. Now, once that's out of your system, 
What are we putting on television for the people? Now comes the work. Now comes the... But that kind of vulgarity and shock and everything, that just gets the... It's like gets the juices flowing. It gets you in a funny frame of mind. And when you have that dream team of a cast that you had, when do you start? Do you immediately start writing to their strengths? Yes. Or does it take a couple, a season to start understanding what they do? That's a great question. You start, you, 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 if you have someone like Peter Boyle, you kind of know who he is and you start writing to what you think you know he is. And then as you rehearse and as the show goes and what you see the audience laughing at, you start to realize, oh, they're great at this. Patty Heaton, uh, who played Deborah, had uh, many, many colors in the rainbow, right? Man, he could do anything. Incredible actress. One of the things we found that she could do in, in episode 12 was cry funny. Wow. Come on, that's a gift. Like Mary Tyler Moore had that. She cries, you laugh. That's good. <laughs> So you, you said, let's remember to use that again, right? When, when Brad Garrett made a face that suggested he was jealous of Raymond because mom was favoring Raymond over him, that was a goldmine. That was something you could go to whenever you needed it. You start to know what the actors can do that you never thought of in the writing, right? And you start writing to that. That's everything. It's so, so shows evolve. Sure. It's it's so interesting, too, just to what you were saying before about that good writing to you is in everything that that you don't say. And yeah, I, I from the actor's point of view, I was listening to I got to interview Vincent D'Onofrio on yeah. this. Great. You know, a, Great a master. Yeah. And he said something very much to the effect as it as it correlates to the actor's process, yes. which was we are the detectives. It is our job to find a want or a hook in every scene to truly find what our character needs. Yeah. And if the writing is good, the writer has made it hard for us to find because it's hidden in nuance and subtext yeah. and in a look or a moment or even a pause. And yeah. Because it's, you know, that's good writing is in all these small hints that the right, instead of just throwing it in your face. Well, executives, a lot, some executives don't realize that. And I've been told, state your theme out loud at the beginning. Like say it, say it over and over. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them it, and then tell them what you told them. I was actually given that note. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. They said, that's good writing. I said, I always thought good writing was, you say it without saying it, that people infer inherently what you mean through your actions. And, and the, the, <laughs> the theme is self-evident. And at the end, you might sum it up. Nope. We want it stated clearly what this is about, blah, 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 blah. So you're, you're oh, excuse me. No problem. Somebody's calling. Go for it if you need no, to. it's okay. I don't need it. But somebody should pick up the phone in in the house. That's <laughs> not me. Could be Norman Lear. I don't think he's calling the house. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's you. The best advice I ever got. I've said this before. Was from Ed Weinberger, a great showrunner of the Mirror Talamore Show and Taxi and the Cosby Show of the '80s. He said, as I was writing the pilot of Raymond, and asked for advice, 
do the show you want to do because in the end they're going to cancel you anyway. Yeah. This is amazing advice. This is a life lesson. We all get canceled one day, right? So live your life is what that means. It doesn't do you any good to say to the network, I made all your changes. Why aren't you putting it on? Right. Probably those changes you made ruin the show, but they're not going to tell you that. Yeah, they're, they're just not going to fall oh, on the sword. This is not so good. Well, that's that great Chris Rock joke of what do police want most? Yeah. Crime. Because if there's that's no funny. crime, they ain't eating. That's funny. And so and network, network execs need problems. And it's reminiscent to me of two greats who I've heard very simplistic advice by listening to them in docs or on podcasts. Mel Brooks says, if it doesn't make you laugh, it won't make anyone else laugh. True. And uh, Larry Charles was quoting Larry David when he said, uh, Larry said, just don't do anything that would make you cringe. Well, that's right. <laughs> you know, but, and it's so simple. Well, we think yeah. that we, we have to hit some fictional uh, audience, you know, some, some, the people out there. No, you have to, it has to make you laugh first. It has to make your buddies in the room laugh first. You have to be very specific. I learned that early on. The more specific you are to your experience and the thing that you relate to, then someone else may relate to it. Not everybody, but someone else will. Because if you're a person, chances are there's another person who feels that way about something. It's the only chance you have. If you try to write vaguely and try to hit everybody, you're going to miss everybody. Right. The more specific you get, the more universal you become. Because we all relate to each other's specifics. And do you think that, oh, I wanted to ask you, how do you face the blank page? And how do you Ugh, get the determination to it's start? It's crippling, even. It is. You know, I wrote a book called You're Lucky or Funny. It's about how to make one of these shows, how to make a, a Raymond. In fact, it's how to make Raymond. It's, how to, it's, it's called You're Lucky or Funny, How Life Becomes a Sitcom. I recommend the audio version of this. It's like having me in the car with you for seven hours. Oh, you read but, it? Yeah. Oh, please. But, but uh, it's, it's good. There's some live things in there that obviously you can't get off the page. Plus, I think the book is out of print now. <laughs> but, so, but this is still available. And I recommend it if you're interested in the business at all or the business of writing. But the way I wrote the book was I paid someone to talk to. I paid someone, not that they were going to co-write the book. I just needed a face to talk to. All of us are writing every day. Everything you and I are writing right now. You're writing what you're going to say to me, and I'm writing you answers. There's just a very short amount of time uh, between the thought and it coming out my mouth. Now, maybe I should take more time before things come out of my mouth. Maybe the world would be better if certain people did that. But that said, it's easier for me to talk than to write to physically sit down and write and face that blank page. I'd rather face a human being and talk than have this recorded, transcribed, and sent to me as pages. Guess what? The page ain't blank anymore. Now I'm starting from something that exists already, and I'm already rewriting, right? Which is easier than writing. The other thing I tell writers is, who are starting, or even if you're not, and you're looking for that new kind of spark, Start keeping a journal. Keep a journal. It's easier to write things down than to write. At the end of the week, you go through your journal and you go, that could be something. You didn't even realize it at the time. But that hindsight, looking back at it and saying, oh, when that cop stopped me 
for the for the uh, broken taillight, right? And I offered him some of my protein bar. That could be something. Right. That could be the start of something. You didn't even realize it. And if you use a, add a little bit of imagination to real life, that's what writing is. Do you, when you're cracking a story or you've got the, the root of something, do you fully outline before you start writing dialogue? It's a good idea to come up with a story. You want to make sure, like you're building a house, you build a frame first, you know? You have a blueprint. Then you build the, the frame. You build the, the, you want to make sure the, the bones are good. So that's in writing, that's the story. If the story doesn't work, you're nowhere. You can have all the witty dialogue you want, but if there's no story, people are going, oh, I'm not watching this. Yeah, no matter how funny it is. Well, yeah. I mean, it's only as good the, the you don't even realize when you're watching it that if the structure is strong, the show is better. It's in everyone's subconscious the reason why we like things. I use this uh, episode of Seinfeld as an example, the, the contest where they, they wanted to see, they took a bet on who, who could go uh, the longest without masturbating. Classic. But it's not just because the subject matter was kind of risky and edgy. It's because it's one of the few episodes where all four characters didn't have separate stories, but were all involved in one central story, which made the show stronger. And that's why it's the classic episode, I think, of that show. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I totally, you know, I find that everyone wants to get to the words and yes. wants to start writing these characters, yes. and it goes well for three pages, and then you're, you're screwed. You can't just sit and banter. Right. What's the point? Where's it going? We need a story to hang it on. So I, I ask this to every showrunner, executive producer, and it's as a service to my fellow actor yep. for this pod, someone who's been in the casting position where you are seeing actors audition yes what does an actor do when they walk in the room where you immediately go fuck this guy <laughs> where you where you say i don't want to work with this person is there something inherently uh what were you gonna say little oh. do it yes so one time i sat with my dad yes on a uh thing what is it an audition thing where you're you're casting something and a guy walked in yeah. and he started reading his script from his phone right. and it was it kept getting messed up and he like wouldn't, he clearly didn't memorize it. And I don't know if you remember this, but you got really frustrated and you were just like, why does he keep going on right. his phone? It was, it's annoying. Cause like you can't see it. Just use a print out thing. I, right. Yeah. I don't know that I remember you getting frustrated. Well, people sabotage that. themselves. Yeah. I tell every actor, Memorize your audition. Now, it seems like a big commitment for something you may not get. Probably and, won't. But if you treat the audition as a chance to perform that day instead of an audition, first of all, you're going to feel better about it. It's a chance to perform. Right away, you're defining it as something that's going to be fun for you to do. It's presumably why you got in the business is because you like doing that. Now, if you prepare... You, and if you're well prepared, no matter how it goes, no matter whether you get it or not, you feel better about yourself because you did your best. Sure. You didn't leave it to chance. Oh, if only I'd memorized it. Maybe, because I can tell you something, the guy after you maybe did memorize it. 
and seemed like he was the part. The only shot you have is being prepared. So, you know, it's kind of a psychological trick that we do to ourselves. Well, I'm not going to really commit to doing this so that if I don't get it, you know, that's my excuse. No, you shouldn't take it personally anyway. They might want an, an eight-foot basketball player to play this role, and shrimpy little you came in and you were dead in the water. The second you walked the in. The second you walked in, you weren't the type. I'll tell you this, though. When we were casting the brother for Raymond, I thought we were going to cast someone who Ray's real brother actually is. His real older brother, Raymond's real older brother, is shorter than Raymond. Is shorter than him. The older brother is shorter than him, which made him jealous of Ray automatically. So I thought we're looking for a shorter older brother because it'll always be funny that the older brother is shorter and jealous of the taller older bro, uh, younger brother, right? And then Brad Garrett walked in, who's six foot eight. He's a massive human. Yes, the yes. tallest Jew in captivity. A Superman. And we thought, oh, that's another way to go. Let's see if he's funny. And then he opened his mouth. Everybody loved Ray. And we died laughing. And he had that hangdog face, right? And it was better than what we thought. And we changed our minds right. about the character because the guy came in and had a choice and, had a, and was prepared and knew who he was and did it. Okay? Now, I could have been the type of guy going, nope, got to be shorter. Could have been that guy. But you never know. You never know. It's better to prepare. Well, this goes for everything. Give it your all, people. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah. Right? In the script. Take the time. Do the rewrite. Make it as good as you can. Just because you typed 40 pages doesn't mean you have a script. You have 40 pages. Is it good? Well, it's done. No. <laughs> yeah. they, you... Writing is so hard that we finish 40 pages of a sitcom script and send it out. I don't want it to be on my uh, computer anymore. Let it be on this guy's computer. Yeah, let him deal with it. You only it. get a few chances before nobody wants to read you anymore, right? Well, Vince Gilligan tells that great story about casting X-Files, and Brian Cranston walks in the room to audition for a guest spot, and he goes immediately, this guy is not getting the role. Right. Because he said, for better or for worse, I created something in my head when I yeah. was writing it. Yeah. And this guy doesn't measure up. Right. But of course, he gave a great performance. Yep. And so he kept him in mind for a little something called Breaking Bad. Yes, that's and right. And that seems to have turned out. That's right. Um, and then, you know, in, in my last few questions, I'm really interested to hear, I'm recently married. Yeah. Between you and I and the listeners, I got a kiddo on the way. Hey, Mazel Tov. <laughs> Thank when? you. January. Beautiful. Thanks. Good for you. <laughs> Do we know what we're having? Human. <laughs> uh, we no, think we're keeping it a, we're staying surprised thanks <laughs> Lily's still I'm so excited oh my god that's amazing thanks <laughs> I know they're gonna let me be a father <laughs> you'll be great oh my god thanks you'll be great. but yeah. it, you know you're you, you you sort of show your family on the show mm -hmm. and in your social media and whatnot, and you you seem like a great family man and that it's anchored you in a certain way. Lily, let's, let's get the, uh, <laughs> the contrarian. It's he is a great family man in the way, I mean, there are the dads who, uh, who are like, all right, I'm going to make dinner for everyone on the grill and then let's go camping. No, that's not what he does. But he, 
plans the best trips ever. Like everything on the show, that is straight from his real life. That's how he does it. He plans everything around food. I've had the best food in the <laughs> world. When I was when I was five, we like went to Paris and I tried literally everything, like foie gras and escargot and like all these fancy foods. And then like my palate just opened up and I he has one family rule and it's you have to try everything. You have to try it at least once. And uh, that, it, like I just got back from a trip and I went up in a tiny little plane because I was like, oh, I got to try it once. Like yeah. I got to, you know, came my, became the rule of the family. You got to just try everything once because you don't know if you like it or not. And then maybe you miss out on your favorite food ever because you were too nervous to try it. So he is a good family man. He... He takes a lot of time doing the show, making sure it's really great, but he also takes a lot of time and says, do you want to have lunch with me? <laughs> like like any normal dad would. So it's a good one. Yeah. Father-daughter date. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Awesome. That's adorable. <laughs> Come on. Well, I'm very lucky because they turned out well, the kids. Beauties. Lily's going to the Dodger game. Have fun. Nice. Who game. are they playing? She doesn't know. <laughs> Lily, comes. No, I know. It's it's, it's all about the... I think we can oh, expect an it's awesome... It's all about the food at the... I love the tickets upstairs. Thank God you reminded me. Okay, I have to go. Goodbye. Here, I'll pause this one. That's something to be proud of. So, you know, you have this to look forward to. Yeah, right? Right? If, if all goes well. It, it will. <laughs> it will. Uh, and we have a boy, too, who's 24, and he's an actor, and he's, you know, he he's... But he's paying his dues now as a production assistant, and... He's uh, working hard, and it's all... I told him, he, he was saying, you know, sometimes it's not so easy. Not everybody's sweet. Not everybody's nice all the time. I said, this is all grist for the mill. You know, keep notes. Keep notes. You never know what's going to be usable. It's kind of what my book's about. You don't know what's going to be usable. We think our lives don't matter to anyone else. That uh, there's nothing useful that's going to come out of my life. What am I? We all feel this way. You never know. And keep a sense of humor. Do you think, I wonder though, and I totally agree, yeah. I wonder if we all think we're so damn special uh -huh. that other people can relate. Because my experience is not like anyone else's. When in fact, it, it's insane how, you know, how much we have in common and how common our experiences are. Right. Uh... This doesn't mean take a selfie every two minutes. Sure. Okay. This doesn't mean that everything I say is gold. Just the opposite. You can have talent, by the way, and never make it because you didn't put the work in. It takes work. Nobody's handing you the television show. You have to work at it. You know how long it took me to get somebody feed Phil? Ten years. That's unreal. Yes. Ten years of trying different iterations of it. Different, different, like, hey, come out and film this thing with me, this scene. Let's see if somebody would like this kind of show. And I did it wrong, and I did it wrong again, and I did it wrong again until it was right. And now it's right. Now I feel like I've hit the, the right way to do it for me. And... Uh... A quick follow-up about what, you know, your son deciding yes. to be an actor. Was there the slightest little bit of you having been in the business for yes. so long that just as a father and being protective went like, oh, like it's, because it's hard. 
It's a hard, everything's hard. When you're dead, you'll see you don't want your kid to suffer at all. Yes. You don't want any pain in their life at all. That, that, that has to go away quick because your kid's going kid's gonna to stumble, physically going to fall down, hurt his knee, right? It's just going to happen. It's how they recover from these things. It's how they recover from, you know, the mean person on the set that's going to shape them. Right. Uh, you can't protect your kids from everything as much as you try. And one of the great things you can give them is uh, their own sense of self-esteem. Warren Buffett said, every child born into a wealthy home is automatically on welfare. And, and I say that you, you can't have any self-esteem unless you do things for yourself. So you have to let your kids have that. You can cripple them by doing everything for them. And I'm afraid that I see parents who, you know, I think they're called helicopter moms, right? Or Oh, please. Tiger mothers, yeah. helicopter. It's too much. And, and so your kid grows up entitled, feeling entitled. And they're not, they're, they're less better off than somebody who had to scrap a little. But I, I, will, I'm, I wrestle with this as I would imagine you did as well, which is that I came from Sometimes we had money. A lot of times we had nothing. Right. And everywhere in between. Right. And so much of who I am today has, was born out of challenge and struggle and yes. overcoming. Yes. And I work so hard so that my kid right. doesn't necessarily have to have the yes. challenge I had. And yet I wrestle with the idea of like, how do I not make them entitled <laughs> and, you know, feel as give them that drive. It's a, it's a juggling act. If you're, if you, for, I can tell you what we do is we're involved in, in, foundations and giving back to the community and we make sure that the kids see that and partake in that and that that's one of their values so once you have that that idea of giving back of understanding that we're not just lucky we're very 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 lucky that feeling of gratitude that propels you forward in life and makes you just want to spread it around that's it and Coming home and having this strong family unit, did it allow you to forget the day's work and leave work at the door? Actually, the family was part of the work. For our show, for Raymond, uh, the joke was, go home, get in a fight with your family, come back in and tell me about it. Right. Right? So we had dinner at home every night because that's a lot of, I would say 90% of the material was coming from that. So your family life, I think you, you can't write about real life unless you have one. And that's where the best stuff comes from. People, people said to us, it sounds like you were listening outside our house last night. Yes, we were living that fight that you had. We were having it. Right. So that's you have why you related to it because it comes from real stuff. That was it. That was Phil Rosenthal, the man, the myth. The Ledge. Thank you so much, Phil, for doing that. It meant the most to me. Um, enjoy, guys. Have an incredible week. Take care of yourself and others. And just remember that when the going gets rough, give up. All right. Love you guys. See you guys <laughs> next week. Bye.